Perverted. Brought to you by Sputnik Africa. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Afro Verdict podcast dedicated to World Information Day, which we observe every year on the 26th of November. I'm your host, Victor Anakin, and today I'm thrilled to have two incredible guests joining me to discuss the importance of information in our society as well as the role it plays in shaping our world. And our first guest joining me is Daniel Adiemi, a journalist, product market and MBA student at the University of East London. By the way, uh, Daniel has been on my podcast before. Uh, back then, we spoke about the risks and uh, possible implementations of 5G uh, in Africa. If you haven't heard that episode, make sure to go on all the popular podcasting platforms that I usually broadcast this podcast on and uh, have a listen. Pretty interesting. So uh, Daniel has a wealth of experience in the media industry, having worked for various publications and organizations around the world. He's also a strong advocate for diversifying information sources and promoting media sovereignty in Africa. Then following him, I'll be joined by Pansy Klakula, chairperson of the information regulator of South Africa. Previously, Ms. Lakula worked at the African Commission on Human and People's Rights for 12 years and served as its chairperson between 2015 and 2017. So in this episode, we'll be exploring a range of topics related to World Information Day, including the importance of diversifying information sources, media sovereignty in Africa, and the delicate balance between freedom of access to information and privacy, which I also had a completely separate podcast about. Make sure to go check that out. We'll also be discussing some of the key challenges facing the media industry in Africa today and what can be done to address them. So sit back, relax, and join me as we delve into these important issues with our guests. Thanks for tuning in, of course, and as always, don't forget to check out other Afroverted podcasts for more insights and analyses on the latest trends and developments in politics, economics, social issues, and the like. That said, without further ado, let's get right to it. Daniel Adiemi, welcome to the Afroverdict Podcast. Daniel, it's good to hear from you again. I'm glad to hear that you're doing well, and it's a pleasure to have you with me again. Hello. Um, thank you so much for having me. All right, look, man, on the 26th of November each year, we observe World Information Day. Why do you think it's important to diversify sources of information in the world that is, at least for now, dominated by mainstream media? Awesome. That's a very beautiful question. The answer to our response is summed up in a sentence, um, The Danger of a Single Story, which is coincidentally also the title for a brilliant talk given by Nigerian author Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. And the point of that talk was we live in a world where certain attributes or certain events are, are used to define a group of people. We call them stereotypes. And when we grow up or as adults, except you look closely, you don't see that it's an issue or it influences the way people look at things. For example, uh, let me use an example, which uh, <laughs> um, I asked a few friends about four or five years ago that, hey, have you seen a movie, a movie where um, the Russian guys are not the bad guys? And, or maybe it's the reverse where the Americans are the bad guys and the Russians are the good guys. And to be fair, I asked up to like 10 friends and nobody had seen a movie. Now, when I was younger, it didn't matter so much because it was just, you know, Nice. But then you start growing up older and I wonder, hmm, why what's the plot always like this? Why is it that people from this are always seen in this light? Now, I understand, right? But you don't it's sort of 
seeps into people's understanding or assessment of a particular set of people. And for Africa, of course, we've seen that a lot, whereas Africa is this, Africa is corrupt, Africa is this. So it, it's very important. And uh, it's a bonus for this source of information diversified because it helps, for one, combat misinformation. We've seen that the COVID where uh, what was true kept on evolving and it was sort of a, um, it was risky to just put the hands, put trust in terms of what is true in the hands of only few sources since it was wise to get like different parties bringing in their information um of course also um wisdom and knowledge uh, expertise is not precedent in only one set of people so uh mainstream media might not always cover all aspects of an issue or provide in-depth analysis that's why it's important to diversify um also uh understanding of global issues oftentimes is pigeonholes look through a particular lens so just um that by information sources being diversified it helps give a broader sense of a global issue when we look at certain things it helps us understand by listening to different parties you understand different actors and the different incentives that um enable it to be so and this helps give people uh, a better sense empowers individuals to make more informed decisions you know, based on a comprehensive understanding of issues. Um, so this could be fostering active civic engagement or participation in democratic processes. So I think that's just an overview of why we, I think it's important to diversify sources of information. I bet everyone has noticed that we observe a very strong presence of Western media in Africa specifically. Tell me, what do you think? What measures could be taken to support local alternative sources of information? Yeah, that's very correct. When I was growing up, I used to wonder why it was necessary to have Western media, uh, like of BBC, CNN, and others, DW for German. And um, now I'm a bit older, and on one on one hand, I understand the necessity or the importance for them. You know, seeing that there's been a couple of recent instances where. Um, um, certain local media or certain government-backed media houses tend to just deflect from the issue or certain issues that have happened uh, tend to be ignored or almost said to not have happened. So I understand it sort of makes sense for them to have an eye. However, it's, it wouldn't be ideal to um, let our, um, an economy or people rely on them. So I think um, the first uh, measures, uh, one of the first measures to do in terms of supporting will be to in support their existence, you know, first by in, um, looking at their business model and supporting it. So um, this might seem, sounds a bit tricky, which is like increasing funding and support for local media organizations. And I said tricky because for one, media organizations, it's important for any organization to actually think of a business model and ensure that it's sustainable, right? The internet has come to sort of obliterate the business model and um, affected how much um, advertisers are willing to spend and people, how much attention people are willing to give. However, it's important that the government is able to support through funding, through grants, or through brokering partnerships with private organizations that could lead to revenue generating models and incentives. So it's, it's different ways i'm not just saying come and come and give money to them because that wouldn't be smart because they're also in business but it's important to support in different forms trainings and all of that um away from money it's also important that we have strong media regulatory bodies that are able to protect press freedom uh, this is very important to ensure fair competition ensure that ethical standards are 
upheld and just ensure that journalists are protected um, because there's a big question around what happens when journalists are intimidated, uh, who do they report to, are they, are they appropriate persons being sanctioned. We've had cases of people in power um, doing certain things, you know, just asking for the arrest of media um, professionals and all of that. So it's very important that there's an independent media regulatory body when certain um, conversations or certain um, media contents are being contested by the government, but now that this independent media regulatory body is looking at it and saying, no, this is not um, biased, this is true, this is objective. Um, also, of course, um, to make things easier, there's also access to information um, laws that should be upheld and strengthened. If there's more transparency and access to government information, it makes it easier for um, this <clears throat> Um, local alternatives or local media houses to do their jobs better. And uh, you're not spending a lot of money trying to get information. You don't have to travel uh, to Abuja, for example, when you can just send a mail and get that information. It makes it easier. It helps it ensures that they're even able to survive. And finally, um, Nigeria has over five, there are over 500 languages spoken in Nigeria. So promoting local languages and content production is a big deal. Um, BBC Hausa is a, uh, a big deal. Um, for um, many reasons, um, they're active. You know, the website is all. But I also know that Radio Nigeria has been doing that for a while. You know, uh, producing content in different languages. However, when it comes to moving over to on the internet, to having a website, to being savvy, I think that's something that um, they haven't really done so well. Just preparing for this talk, I actually checked one of their sites. I think the one for Kaduna, and it wasn't live. And I tried to listen to the version of the radio and said the server was down. Hey shouldn't be so right so it's very important that local languages um, uh, content production local uh, are promoted because um we have over 500 languages so english is not yet english might be the official language however it's important that uh, we the factor that because that's a, uh, that's a place where oftentimes western media western media is not really strong in that only bbc probably does something in other languages the rest are primary english so i think um that could be an edge um, for um, supporting local alternatives. And what's your take on the role that African media should play in the multipolar world? Just like you said, it's very important that African media reckons that the world is truly multipolar. And in that sense, just for anybody listening, uh, really like multipolar meaning there are different powers, there are different bodies, and it's not just a world where we have only one or two superpowers, right? So by reckoning that, I reckon that African, <clears throat> Africa is one of those, African countries rather, because I really like to differentiate the fact that Africa is actually different countries. Um, for one, you know, promote African voices and perspectives, right? It's important to amplify our perspective on these global issues and ensure that um, this conversations ahead, uh, providing platforms for African experts, analysts, and thought leaders to share their thoughts, to give their own perspective, certain issues. It really helps a lot. It helps um, other regions of the world to see and listen and say, that, hey, this will have something that's being said. Of course, also in doing this, they're also countering stereotypes and misrepresentations, right? So it's one thing to look at Africans, so for example, Nigerians, and say, oh, hey, um, yes, a number of Nigerians are involved in corrupt practices or um, fraud cases, but that's not how you define the whole of Nigeria. So by providing different stories, yes, many people are looking to leave different African countries to the West for better 
source of living. However, there are many people that still stay in there, are many people that still choose to stay. I remember last year I was writing a story, I was I thought about an idea, and I thought, hey, everybody's talking about people living Africa. Why not talk about people that are staying, people that choose to stay, people that had opportunities to live but chose to stay. And I spoke to different people from, you know, Nigeria, Ghana, and other African countries. And I thought that was a different way to flip. Yes, it might not have gotten a lot of attention, but it was important to point out the fact that people have different aspirations, people have different experiences, uh, people are living different lives. So it's very important to counter stereotypes and misrepresentation. And also, um, and finally, it's important to actually just ensure that there is uh, better communication between African countries. You know, yeah, we're talking about regional integration, economic cooperation. So by media houses actually amplifying what is happening, um, they are able to actually share, ensure that there's greater unity. Because I, I think that, yes, Africa is made up of um, different countries. However, it's coming together. It's a stronger force, just like, you know, Europe, for example, the EU is um, um, stronger because they're together. So by sharing news across borders and enhancing, you know, communication between different African countries, I believe that they will be able to um, just um, play a better and stronger role in this multipolar world. I'm not sure if you've heard, but uh, Sputnik, as well as other Russian media, for example, Russia Today, were banned by the European Union which at the same time calls for freedom of expression to be applied in other countries and regions. So to what extent is this situation illustrative in terms of double standards practiced by Western countries? Mm, that's, a, that's a tricky one. That's a complex question because, you know, I just checked and I saw that the ban, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the ban was affected um, sometime in 2022 around um, Ukraine, disinformation. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. But um, I think that ban took place earlier in some uh, Baltic countries. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I just thought to um, get to like, oh, why was the ban? Um, I think um, for one, um, like I said, it's a complex issue where first off, um, there are a number of arguments both ways. Um, for one, you look at the EU's decision and for one, it's like, oh, hey, um, if you, if the EU banned all Russian media outlets, then that would be um, <clears throat> a very um, red flag. However, I think the rationale from what I read was just looking at the EU saying, oh, certain organizations are influenced or controlled by the Russian states. Now, that's up for debate because it depends on how you see it. Um, however, I think that on the other end, there's also a question of should the EU be in the business of deciding which media outlets are allowed to operate and which are not. And <clears throat> I think, um, but then ultimately, it brings to the question of uh, when you talk about freedom of expression, I, I don't think that freedom of expression is ever going to be absolute, right? The way um, oftentimes the West or the, the way it's defined at times in certain instances, like, oh, everybody gets to talk. However, really, you know, there's only perfect freedom within like some form of constraint. So um, like you said, in terms of double standards, it's just a case where um, you're looking at it and saying, hey, you're saying this, but you're doing this. And I think the bigger discourse might be, um, it looks like those are not because of the understanding of what freedom of expression is, which, you know, um, it's worth looking at. And 
Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely um, worth looking at. But I, I think that different arguments and it's 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 you know the arguments for and against and it's what you know even the EU I believe they are treading cautiously because there's also an argument of you know you don't want to um, further isolate um, Russia and make it difficult to engage um, with like the Russian um, uh, media and um, population at large. So I think it's a very um, dicey one where. Um, it's 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 worth looking at what is the ideal definition of freedom of expression, so that when it goes the other way, the EU isn't saying um, freedom of expression is being curbed. If you understand what I mean. All right. Yeah. No. Touche. Tell me, what do you think is necessary to make people know Africa for what it is, instead of looking at it through a a prism of stereotypes, so to say? Yeah. Thank you very much. Like I said before. Um, Africa is, I know that people, and I cringe a bit when some of my friends um, from other countries, very Western countries, say, oh, it's from Africa. And I'm like, hey, he's not from Africa. He's from, <laughs> he's from Nigeria. He's from Cameroon. It's an easier way to say it because they're not wrong. However, that just tends to reemphasize the stereotype of Africa being one whole body when it's over 50 countries, right? So it's, it's very important um, um, for people to look at Africa as different parties, um, different, sorry, different states. Um, of course, um, also beyond that, travel and cultural, um, cultural exchange, uh, definitely it's very important that people visit African countries see what it's like like we said earlier the media can sudden often like just tell africa through a certain lens where you see africa as you know just kids in village running around naked but hey that's not true we have buildings we have skyscrapers we have all of that and also it goes the other way around where you look at america and then you know they're only showing the fancy places and you realize they're actually slums and people not just, africa, not just america but the west europe and you know every country there are slums everywhere Right. And oftentimes people get to learn that late that, oh, it's like that. So I think it's very important for people to travel to see what's happening, to see what it's like, to understand that it's not um, everything that's just being said in media. It doesn't represent the whole um, view of it. Of course, education, in terms of education, um, also ultimately people, um, Western, you know, it's important to actually converse with Africans, try to understand them try to understand different aspects just ask questions what was it like growing up what's happening all of that just to understand things by by talking to different parties and not just relying on secondhand information they're able to understand better um, instead of looking through a prism of stereotypes one can argue that with the development of modern day information technology information has turned into some sort of power and one that is not always used with the best intentions as well. How should African governments ensure that media outlets in their countries are free from external influence and interference? When I think about that, I wonder if <laughs> sometimes African governments are the extra influence that media houses um, are trying to get free of, free from rather. Uh, so um, first is actually establishing strong institutions and media laws to protect this because like i said before uh, the 
um, African government. Government is actually the body trying to influence and interfere. Uh, and it's very important there are agencies, there are laws that protect them. Um, we've seen in Nigeria in the last three years, different things happening and certain journalists, you know, being arrested, disappearing, you know, being charged to court for certain things or being harmed. So it's very important that there are laws um, backing this protecting, you know, protection of uh, protecting freedom of expression, and also there are sanctions for certain things happening. It's not just okay for the government to do what it wants to do and just move on, right? So it, it's very important that there are laws and strong institutions in place. Also, um, it's easier when there's transparency and accountability in the government, right? The government is able to say, oh, this is what's happening. Government is able to explain its operations, open access to information, you know, engage in open and honest com- communication, which will increase trust and reduce the, me- the need for media to rely on external sources. Um, because oftentimes when the media cannot get, if you can't get an information direct from the government or certain parties, then you have to go around and oftentimes you might need to um, call on a foreign party. For example, there's been cases where people, uh, maybe certain instances that people are tagging the US government because they've reached out to government, government is not saying anything and it looks like they're not going to budge. So you're trying to get an external force to ensure that um, sanity is restored or there's transparency. So just by the government being open and clear, it reduces the need for local media to or media outlets actually have to go ask external bodies because it often looks weird, but it's just, I guess, an act of desperation where you have local media reaching out to foreign bodies to the UN saying, hey, come and help us do this, right? It's not uh, <laughs> it's not cool, but it's often the last um, resort for them. And finally, of course, um, oftentimes it's about an underlying, you know, the underlying issues that contribute to this external influence, we're talking about uh, issues that make this media out- outlets vulnerable, um, poverty, corruption, weak institutions, right? So <clears throat> just ensuring that, just by ensuring that the economy, uh, society is going well, it reduces this vulnerability because in some instances, also a vulnerability where um, external inf- um, influences can look and say, hey, we'll give you this money or we'll pay for this if you would run this right so just by ensuring that everything is going well and um, the cost of business is not too high it reduces that need to say oh we're gonna push this for you for an extra five ten million um right so um it's very important just by the government doing what it's supposed to do in the society and the economy it helps ensure that there's less need to rely on or to pay attention to external influence. It's universally known that access to information is one of the fundamental human rights. How could improving public information accessibility help to ensure well-being of societies in Africa? Yeah, so definitely, um, I say knowledge is very important. Without knowledge, you're just (laughs) beating around the bush. I think in every area, from the last... um, two years we've seen how anytime there's a often a disaster or crisis just by access to information people are able to avert people are able to respond to it you know individuals are able to get early warnings they're able to um, evacuate they are able to access emergency resources you know, during covid there was a lot of uh messages sms's i got you know just ensuring that everything is well uh, earlier in the year, there was a case of a potential flood 
in the middle belt region of Nigeria. And the agency involved sent a message saying, hey, this might happen. And that helps people plan. Right? So it helps reduce vulnerability to disasters and crisis. Because in terms of um, economic opportunities, oftentimes the difference between someone, you know, being uh, making a sale or not is actually just access to information. So um, uh, oftentimes we've seen these instances where there are schemes where farmers, for example, have access to maybe real-time prices in the market or certain demands and they're able to take advantage of this. So I think that just access to information also helps to empower people to take more advantage or participate better in the economy, right? So when people have access to information about job openings, trainings, financial literacy resources, um, opportunities generally, they can improve their livelihood and also contribute to economic growth. And finally, you know, back to um, governance, which is very important. When there is access to information, citizens are able to hold their government accountable and promote transparency. And they're able to actually see how the government is spending resources and making decisions. There's a recent or an ongoing conversation around the legal state government and how certain funds were spent in the last, I think, six months. Right. So that's you know that's uh, um, you know one example of that. And with this, also people are able to actually be more involved. They realize their civic duties and they're able to participate. Not everyone might be able to hold an office, but definitely everyone can hold the government accountable or contribute in any way they can just by knowing that, oh, hey, you know, there's a need here and we can meet it. So those are ways in which um, we could improve, um, improvement in public formation could help ensure the well-being of societies in Africa. Look, and lastly, um, quite a delicate question. In our digital age, the privacy of personal data has become one of the key issues, right? Could you give our listeners some practical advice on how to safeguard their personal information? Oh yeah, sure. It's a big deal. <laughs> uh, personal data, damn data. I think first off, uh, it's very important for people to know that you know, looking at it through the lens of the different um, organizations or applications or products, and the request for personal data is really to help in personalization, where you're able to actually tailor content and services to people's interests. And so it, it's important to understand the role. Um, and sometimes I appreciate that. It's quite interesting. The other day I was looking at my app on my phone, uh, my Google um, Chrome browser, and I could see like stories. And because I'd been searching about certain um, things related to AI, I could see that it showed me more <laughs> AI-related news stories. And I thought, hmm. How oh, cool, right? Uh, but um, so it's important to know that. However, it's also important to be cautious because um, the laws around this uh, still forming. You know what is optimal, so it's very important to be cautious around it. I think the first is you no know, being cautious about sharing personal information. You know, you avoid sharing sensitive personal information, social security number where they exist, credit card details very important not to do that um in these days now you see websites that have um ssl there's a padlock um sign that connection is secure to show that the website um is secure enough so that if you key your details um, your card details you're not going to be um it's not going to be i'm not being affected or in certain instances you see certain brand names put there in africa you have likes of flutterwave paystack interswitch and a couple others that when you see 
you're mostly setting that. Sorry, in Nigeria, right? Let me not say Africa. Yes, they're popular in Africa, but it's among Nigerian brands um, where you know that your payment is mostly secure. And phishing scams are a big deal. Every now and then, I get some funky email. I just check my my spam, <laughs> my spam mail for phone <laughs> for to see what the latest um phishing scam is you know someone sending an email saying oh i'm this company i'm this, this, this that right so it's very important to not be and there's as you can there's always a sense of urgency hey do this now this and that it's important to just wait just wait it out right um, um oftentimes organizations actually carry out tests where they're able to actually um they run a distant or and you know they're able to tell their employees that oh don't click right um does it appropriate term for it but um it's like a test run just to ensure that everybody's cyber security compliant so emails even sms's just be careful right and finally of course we all love wi-fi um, um wi-fi for many people is as important as the every bit but important to be cautious about public wi-fi um i'm saying this and i'm also saying it myself because just a few days ago i used the free wi-fi public wi-fi as a hospital and um but it's very important to be cautious about it avoid sharing anything information um through it um consider using a vpn to encrypt your online activity when using public wi-fi so it's not that you cannot use it but i better to use a vpn just when you're using a public wi-fi you might be in an airport or somewhere where you um need to use it right but it's just very important to do that so i think it's very important to be cautious uh, um, about this, uh, while understanding the importance, very important. To, and these are some tips I believe would help people not taking advantage of. Daniel, thanks a lot. It was a pleasure to have you with me. I appreciate your professional insight. Now, to get a bit of diversification of opinion, let's invite Ms. Pansy Klakula to get her point of view from a rather legal perspective. Let's go. Ms. Klakula, thank you very much for joining me today on the Afroverdi podcast. Starting with the first and foremost question, uh, in your opinion, what is the importance of diversifying sources of information in the world dominated by mainstream media? I think it's important for us to do so because um, technological advancements have introduced uh, new sources of information um, in the form of uh, the internet and social media, uh, which is being used a lot by young people. So it is important to ensure that uh, to give meaningful um, definition to the right of access to information in the technological era. We di diversify sources of information. And this means that we have to ensure that uh, we deal with the ever so present digital divide that most of our countries experience. And we also ensure that uh, uh, people have uh, access to data because it is only through access to data that they can um, be able to access uh, information online. Uh, Daniel, at Yemen, I agreed that uh, there's a very strong presence of Western media in Africa. Uh, what do you think can be done to better support local alternative sources of information? It is not even, in some countries, yes, it is Western media. 
but in others such as mine, the ownership of uh, the media landscape has not changed. So before we even talk about um, controlling, if you like, uh, foreign media, we have to transform the media landscape in some countries and ensure that uh, the media is owned by the indigenous people or the majority of people in the country. That cannot be said about my country, for instance. We are currently living in a multipolar world that is rapidly developing. Uh, what role should African media play in such a world? I think the, the media is not playing its role in terms of informing the people about or giving them information that will enable them to improve their lives. Um, the media in most countries, and I'm speaking, uh, I'm saying so, being very mindful of the powerful role of the media, being mindful of the importance of the right to freedom of expression, being mindful of the atrocities that uh, uh, media houses face in some countries. So, but I, I think that there has to be a paradigm shift in the manner in which the media has played its role. The media in some countries continue to see its role only as an anti-government role where they expose uh, the wrongs of the government in uh, the government such as corruption and so on. That is important and that has to continue. But I think that has to be balanced against providing uh, ordinary people with information that will enable them to change their lives. So the, the role of the media in providing education and also in providing information that will transform people's lives, I think it's important. Some time ago, Sputnik, as well as other Russian media like Russia Today, uh, were banned by the European Union, which simultaneously calls for freedom of expression to be applied in other countries and regions. So to what extent is this situation illustrative of the double standards Western countries practice? I just want to talk generally, and I, I don't want to be specific um, in talking about any country. Uh, as the former Special Rapporteur on Freedom of Expression and Access to Information in Africa, during my tenure, I did come across cases of media that uh, was banned uh, by some governments, particularly for being critical to, to the government. But banning media or arresting journalists or using laws that limit the right to freedom of expression, such as criminal defamation or attacks on the media, all those are against really uh, international or principles of freedom of expression that are contained in various international and regional human rights instruments. What do you think is necessary 
to make people know Africa for what it really is, instead of them believing the stereotypes? Africans have to tell their own stories. Um, I think that is the first thing to do. People who write about Africa from outside Africa, they really have no um, information about the, the true African stories, uh, what makes uh, people of Africa to be who we are, the values that are espoused by African people. So it is important. And if you go to the African continent, uh, that um, voice is very strong to say, let the Africans tell their own stories. So those days of the story of African being told by other people, is those days are gone. I totally support you on this one. The African media houses should really paint their own picture of Africa since they are Africans. They know what it's like. They see Africa for what it really is. With the development of modern information technology, nowadays information is considered uh, to be power and a power that is not always used with the best intentions. So how should African governments go about to ensure that their media outlets in their countries are free from external influence and interference? I think it, the funding is an important element to it because people um, go outside to fund funding because of a lack of resources in their own countries. And once they are funded, outside uh, their own countries. Obviously, those who fund them will want to dictate how um, uh, the media they have founded, funded has to, to operate. So I think sources of funding becomes important for the media to be able to uh, continue to perform its duties with impartiality and independently. But I think what is also not helping is the, the economic situation that we find ourselves in, exacerbated by the COVID-19, that uh, saw the closure of many, many media outlets. And also the fact that uh, people can get information online and in real time on social media that has also affected the traditional media. So the media itself has to do an introspect and see how in the current environment it's able to, to function and to operate effectively. Access to information is one of the fundamental human rights we currently have. How could improving public information accessibility help ensure the well-being of societies across the African continent? And I'm asking you this since you're a person that has worked with human rights issues? You see, the problem is that when we talk about access to information, we talk about, we tend to talk about um, access to public information or information held by uh, public authorities. And nowadays that is not where the power lies. The power lies with the uh, private institutions that uh, command a lot of, uh, of power. If you look at the sources of, um, of news, of media, that uh, is in the hands of uh, the, the private actors, such as uh, uh, social media companies. And if you, even if you look at the uh, provision of um, services, 
those services in some countries or most countries are provided by private players, whether you're talking about energy, uh, whether you're talking about health and so on. So that is why there has to be a paradigm shift in the manner in which we have uh, so far looked at the right of access to information. This right should not only apply to public bodies, they should also apply to all private bodies for the reasons that I have stated. And those private bodies must also include political parties. So there is, I think, a need to have a, a complete overhaul of the current access to information uh, framework to remove it, to extend it to private uh, bodies, firstly, and, 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 and secondly, to, to ensure that uh, anyone can request information from a, a private body if they require that information to exercise or protect their rights. As we, are, as we talk now, I have already informed you that social media companies hold a lot of information. Uh, there is a concern regarding disinformation, misinformation online. Now, unless the legislative framework allows people to request access to information from uh, these online platforms on how they deal with disinformation, their policies on that, and allow even researchers to have access to their platforms to look at how these media, how these uh, uh, social media platforms address this uh, disinformation phenomenon that is probably one of the biggest threats to democracy in uh, the 21st uh, century. If we don't do that, then we'll never be able to address the challenges of uh, access to information. We are currently living in an absolutely digital age. And in this age, the privacy of personal information has become, uh, you know, quite a key issue on the on the current agenda. Could you perhaps outline how the information regulator of South Africa accomplishes its mission of protecting personal information and uh, give our listeners some practical advice on information security. You see, if you look at the South African uh, legislative framework, it does provide for the protection of personal information of people. But at the same time, it says that the regulator in protecting personal information has to ensure that it does not um, limit the free flow of information. So the, the, what is important or what we have to do all the time when we talk about the right to privacy as it relates to data protection, we have to balance that against uh, the right of access to information and the right to freedom of expression because if you don't do that, we can end up in a situation where the right to privacy unfairly trumps the right of access to information and freedom of information and this can the right of access to information and freedom of expression and this can have dire consequences of 
um, using the right to privacy to promote secrecy. So in the information regulator, we always ensure that in doing our, in performing our task or in executing our money mandate, we maintain a balance between the two rights. I can give you an example, for instance, if there is a complaint against the media that the media has published an article that violates the right to privacy of an individual, the law grants, uh, in fact, it excludes the media from um, the application of the protection uh, to uh, the protection, uh, our act, which is, um, we call it POPI, the Protection of Personal Information Act. So the media falls outside the act provided, of course, the media has adopted a, a, a policy or a, a code of conduct that provides adequate safeguards to personal information of individuals. So that is where, and this is how this, this balance uh, also, also works, just to give an example. Thank you for joining us for the special episode of the Afroverted Podcast dedicated to World Information Day. I hope you found our discussion with Daniel Adeyemi and Pansin Tlakula insightful as well as thought-provoking since they have provided us with much food for thought. As we've heard today, the importance of information in our society cannot be overstated. From promoting media sovereignty in Africa to balancing freedom of access to information with privacy concerns, there are many many challenges facing the media industry today. But as our guests have shown us, there are many opportunities for innovation and progress as well. And by diversifying information sources, promoting media independence and ensuring that everyone has access to the information they need, we can really build a more informed and engaged society. So let's continue to support the media industry and let's work together to ensure that information remains a force for good out there in the world. Thanks again for listening and hope you'll join me again soon for more insights and analyses on the latest trends and developments in the world. That said, I will see you next week, but until then, stay informed by checking out the Sputnik Africa Telegram channel, TikTok account, and other socials. However, for longer analyses, go ahead to our Sputnik Africa website and to access all this information quickly and conveniently, make sure to download the Sputnik Africa application. As always, you're more than welcome to rewind this podcast on popular podcasting platforms such as Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Castbox, Pocket Casts, Deezer, Afropods, as well as Podcast Addict. That said, I take my adieu, dear listeners. Have a great Sunday Eve. Afro Verdict, brought to you by Sputnik Africa.